The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Hey, we got some rain this weekend. That's great news. I'm so excited. I mean, it's funny. I can't go out and ride on any of the trails. No gravel riding, no single track on mountain bikes, uh, because I don't want to be bad to the trails. But fire season is over. There was talk that, that it might not end this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's really great news to hear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you get in any proper snow riding yet? I got in proper ice and <clears throat> what looked like snow post slush riding this week. <laughs> but that was that was good. But this week now, Wednesday, they're predicting something like seven inches of real snow. Oh. So the real snow is coming, surrounding us, definitely north from here, Vermont. People are riding in the snow. Western Mass, the snow is happening, and and there's lots of people out there riding it. So, yeah, we get to look forward to that happening Wednesday night. Are you When that happens, do you feel kind of left out? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when travel across state lines is not an option. But I do really enjoy seeing the photos, and uh, I watch a, a New England fat bike group to see where people are riding and hear uh, you know, get see the pictures and hear the the trails that are riding well. Mm-hmm. So that's good. People are really helpful on that. So I'll live vicariously until it's me out there. So <laughs> soon, soon. <laughs> I wish our listeners could see the way your eyelids just flared. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is the thing that that lights me up. I I I don't know what it is. It takes me back to my childhood and happy times in the snow. Uh, it just it just makes me feel lighter and happier awesome. in, a, in a very real way mm-hmm. in in a world where things are pretty down. I think snow just just eliminates a lot of that. Yeah. So yeah. And it does for a lot of the people I work with, too. It's it's not uncommon to get an email from people saying, like you, I love snow and I'm really excited to see it coming. So <laughs> I, I think it's not just me. <laughs> oh, it's definitely not just you. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. But, you know, my. Without having had any background in in fat biking, uh, I think snow and I immediately think skate skis. You know, that's where my brain still goes. Uh, Mm -hmm. And when I think about skate skiing, yeah, I do. It's not nostalgia, but it's just out, out and out missing it, you know? Sure. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. Did a lot of cross country and skate skiing also in upstate New York and in Colorado. Lots of great skiing. It's interesting because that's where you would find cyclists back years ago when mm-hmm. I when when the snow would come and everybody's wearing their cycling gear when they're skiing. So that was <laughs> I never another did that. Yeah, great time on snow. Great time to see other cyclists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very cool. All righty. Well, what do you have for your pool this week? In the interest of getting ready for 2021 in style and preparing for activities and events that we will be able to execute on no matter what's happening with the pandemic, I'd like to discuss bikepacking today. Mm. I've been specking a bunch of bikepacking bikes lately, and I've been hearing more and more from people curious about bikepacking and how to equip a bike and rider. There have been a lot of requests for seminars and and just information in general. So I think this is a good time to to get started on talking about it. It's time to get more into this now. So you're ready when it's time to go. You'll be able to get out there and enjoy it. You can bike pack on the road if you're a road cyclist. So you can apply most of this discussion to road touring. It makes sense. And this, again, this is just the, this is a primer. This is quite an overview. There's a lot of detail to get into beyond what we're going to be talking about today. Bikepacking is literally backpacking on a bike. 
you can ride self-supported supported for at least one day and one overnight. Typically, bikepacking involves sleeping in a tent and taking mixed terrain surfaces on the ride to and from camp. Now, considerations to think through for bikepacking fall in the following categories. The bike spec and the components, bags and where you'll be carrying each thing you're taking with you, your nutrition, what you'll be bringing to eat and how you'll be preparing food, tools for your bike, and safety items. Then, of course, there's the question of the route, where to go, and navigation. This discussion is intended to get you thinking along the subject in general, and then we'll be doing a deep dive into each of these items later. There is a lot to talk about. It's a really (laughs) huge category. It, It is neat to see how many people are wanting to do it. It's pretty safe to say if you want to do it, you're going to find others who would like to do it with you. Mm. Carrying gear now applies to all of us more these days because we need to be more self-sufficient when we're riding alone. And we can't be guaranteed that small stores that we had typically taken for granted are open for business. Many (laughs) restaurants, unfortunately, are going out of business this winter. They're either going out of business for good or they're shutting down for the winter. And this is a plug to support your local restaurants because they are really struggling right now. And this reduces the opportunities for stopping to refuel or to be able to step in for the cold or the weather. Like a a Dunkin' Donuts out here has been a common stop for me. I'm not a huge fan of Dunkin' Donuts food, but their hot chocolate hits the spot if it's cold. It's raining out, but it's harder to now be inside to eat anything. Mm -hmm. You'll need to take advantage of every square inch on your bike for carrying gear. From front handlebar bags to saddlebag, potentially frame bags, fork mounted racks and bags, uh, and possibly a rear rack. Your setup will be different from everyone else's setup. If you look at any big bikepacking race, there's a lot of websites that show the riders who have completed the ride and the gear that they take. And every single person has a dramatically different setup from everyone else. And I think looking at that is really indicative of the options that you have. And obviously there isn't a right answer because these are all top level bike packers who are able to complete humongous distances in short ish periods of time. And they're getting to their destination feeling like they've they've done it right with bringing years of experience with them. They'll come up with an organization system of what goes where. Have small items together in individual bags. So in other words, one small bag, and then you can put a bunch of little items in that to keep them together. So your small things don't get lost. I'm finding more and more that things that are colorful are really helpful because it seems like everything for bikes is black (laughs) and all the stuff just gets lost. You know what it's like looking in your laundry. It all looks the same. So when it comes to bike packing, you want to be able to use color coding to a certain extent. So you know what's what's where. And if something were to fall out onto the trail, you're going to see that it's there so you don't miss it and continue on. Like, let's say you have a flat fix in the middle of the night. You want to be able to see where your stuff is. Also, see through bags are helpful. So, you know, what's in each bag. Your system is something you'll develop with experience, keeping the things you need to have quickly available in your front handlebar bag and other things or bags. I should say there's also systems of multiple handlebar bags and other things that are much readily less needed buried deep in, uh, say, your saddlebag that's further away from you that you don't need to access quickly. And you'll notice how much time it takes to get your stuff you'll need to get things fairly regularly. And if you have to stop for any period of time, those little stops add up to hours by the end of the day. You'll want your tubes to be in their own carrying case together and not with anything that's going to rub against them to put holes in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they, and they, they, yeah, I mean, this is true for <laughs> every cyclist. Your tubes are going to rub against something and eventually there will be a hole in them. You don't want this to happen on your ride. Lightweight tubes such as tubolitos 
will trim down on weight and take up less space. Latex tubes are great, but in the context of bikepacking, they are not good. You don't want to use them because they lose air more quickly and they can't be patched. You want to weight your bike evenly, distributing the load between the front and the rear of your bike and to a certain extent in the center of your bike. Soft items like sleeping bags and extra clothes are good candidates for being strapped to the fork. While cooking equipment, I prefer to have that in a saddlebag. And it's, it's it just tucked away in the bottom of the saddlebag with soft things around it so it doesn't clang around and drive absolutely <laughs> mad with the noise that it makes. It's something like anything that's hard is hard to cinch down. I really like there's like Revelate straps that are very tough, but they operate and they work well when they are overstretched and they they compress your clothes bags or your your compression bags. You know, if you're using that on something like a pan, it's not going to be able to cinch down well enough. And when that pan shifts around, then the strap gets loose and that bag can fall off your bike, depending on how it's attached to your bike. I've bike packed with a rack and without a rack. So depending whether you're using that, like if I, if I use a rack, I'm using a compression bag strapped down to it. So it's not bouncing around panniers. You don't use with bikepacking because they just, they flop around too much when you're off road, when you're on uneven surfaces, whereas those are totally appropriate for road touring. So that's, that's one of the bigger differences between the two. That was the question I was going to ask you. Okay. Yeah. And also panniers tend to be heavy. Really nice panniers, while they're not that heavy, can still be too heavy, too much bag. Compression bags, lightweight bikepacking compression bags are really light. And those you can strap a variety of ways onto your bike. Um, I've I've taken the Joe Cruz had great. He is a terrific bikepacker. He's got years of experience. He's someone I enjoy following. And he came and, and did a talk. At, uh, at Ride Studio a few years ago, his suggestion was to use electrical tape to strap uh, cages, like water bottle cages, to your frame or to a carbon fork. So I've used that, and that's a really nice, nice bit of advice. And of course, if you're strapping something to a carbon fork, you do a layer of electrical tape down first <laughs> to protect the fork, and then you wrap, and then you use like a whole roll roll of electrical tape. It's and that okay. that's really strong. You don't use three wraps. You use a lot. <laughs> so that was one bit of advice I got from him that I've employed and has been really worked well. But some people are going to want to a lot of people will use a gravel bike for bikepacking. You might have a specific fork just for bikepacking that's ready to go that you swap onto your bike. And then you use a different fork for when you're just doing your your day rides and, and your fun gravel rides. Well, on the bike, bike tire clearances, I'm not going to go into it too much now, but 40 millimeter tires are great. Maybe a 650B by 50 millimeter tire is better. I'll have more traction, more comfort. You may even want something like a 2.25 inch by a 29, 29er mountain bike wheel and tire setup. If you're going to be going on class four roads, you're really off the beaten path for hours at a time. So you want to know that your frame can accommodate whatever wheel and tire size you you want. But think about that. It's, it's, it's a big question to be asking how you where you want to ride and what you want to be capable of riding over. And comfort is exceptionally important when it comes to bikepacking. These quick two-day trips might turn into a week-long trip. You need to be comfortable every time you get on that bike. You are going to be looking at the ease of accessing and fixing your parts. So think about the components, your shifters, your derailleur. Do you have internally routed hydraulic brake cables or brake housing, I should say? That's not easy to get to. So having it on the outside of your bike and probably a cable actuated disc brake system is going to be more fixable for you when you're out in the middle of nowhere 
the things to think about. There's a lot of durability questions in addition to the durability of your frame to consider. Are you going to be using hand-built wheels? Very likely you will. Think about the spec of what rims, what hubs, how easy are the hubs to service, with which tools could you service them if something were to happen? How would you replace the spoke? Take extra spokes. This is a lot. There's a lot of stuff here. You would want a really good wheel builder to build your wheels because wheels can be misbuilt such that they pop spokes when they shouldn't. You're going to have a lot of weight on these wheels. It's you. It's all of your equipment, your bike, and they're going to be in tough conditions. Um, think about the front hub. Do you want it to be a generator hub? I would say the vast majority of bike packers do have a generator hub. On, on their front wheel so that they can generate electricity and or light. So at least electricity now with as much electricity as we need for the navigation, charging uh, your GPS computer. And you might not plan on riding in the dark, but you might end up being in the dark. So, <laughs> it's so th- funny how a heavier th- bike is slower going. right well and that's the thing too like there's going to be a certain level of your your if you are in a slow area you're not going to be able to generate light so you might need to be charging a battery that you have a battery light so that you can be seeing as you're going and then are you setting up camp at night that's another thing that takes electricity is your your headlight so just a lot of a lot of needs there where it comes to electricity your position on the bike should be more upright and more comfortable. Again, you're going to be in this position for a long time. And if you're going to be off road, you want your weight a little bit more off the front wheel, especially if you're going to be loading the bike. So that well-balanced bike comes along with your body and your balance on the bike, as well as the stuff you're loading on your bike. I recommend drop bars for maximum comfort. Some people will certainly disagree with me. They might prefer flat bars. I do think the most comfortable position for your hands is a drop bar position, but with those bars being higher up. Gear. This is a fun category to (laughs) be talking about and thinking about during the winter on long, rainy, cold days when you want to be inside. So research super lightweight bike packing I should say backpacking gear because the backpacking world and bikepacking overlap in a big way. Become a weight weenie if you haven't been one before, (laughs) since all of the grams add up to pounds. It is worth investing in a good mummy ultralight sleeping bag that is rated for the temperatures you think you're going to be sleeping at. Some people use quilts. I've been a mummy sleeping bag user. Um, I really like having the bag surrounding me that I can zip it up. I have not bikepacked in really cold temperatures yet, but I I think having something that's going to keep you a little warmer because it can get really cold at night, depending where you live. It can get really cold even in the summertime. So something that is going to be warmer is going to be good and get it as lightweight as you can get for that maximum warmth. A good bag is about one pound in weight to give you a sense. You'll want a sleeping bag liner as well as an inflatable pad for under your sleeping bag. It's worth checking out backpacker advice. Say, check out people who have hiked the Appalachian Trail. A lot of people have come up with a lot of really great advice from their lessons backpacking. One thing that I picked up from watching a YouTube from a backpacker who did the Appalachian Trail was that a good pillow that is really comfortable for you is worth its weight because it allows you to sleep well. Oh, amen. Oh, gosh, yes. (laughs) Something I didn't think about. Usually I would take, oh, like the extra jacket that I have or extra T-shirt and crumple it up and stuff it all together and sleep on that as a pillow. That has worked, but that's also precarious. You don't know that that pillow that you just created is going to work for you. (laughs) There's some nice inflatable ones. You can you don't have to inflate it all the way. That can be really nice. And they also sometimes have a little uh, pillow holder in the sleeping bag. That helps because that keeps it there for your head so it doesn't like slip out of the way. (laughs) So and it's some some 
liners or some of the pads make noise. They're very light, but because of that lightweight material they use can make a lot of noise. And if you're a really light sleeper, if every time you turn over the noise of your pad is going to wake you up, consider that when you purchase your pad. About cooking equipment, the most important thing, we ride our bikes because we like to eat, right? And at the end of a long day, you want to eat well. Now, cooking equipment comes in all shapes and sizes. Think lightweight, simple, and small. I will dig into this in a future show because, again, there's a lot to talk about on this front. Dehydrated, dehydrated backpacker food that you'll get from a place like REI tastes great after a long day of riding. You typically will de-thaw or de- rehydrate it with boiling water. So that means it's warm. Uh, and that stuff can taste exceptionally good. And it's also very lightweight. On my first bikepacking trip, I tried taking things like apple and corn and I think some canned food. (laughs) That was really heavy. It was very, very heavy. So you're going to make plenty of mistakes first. I certainly made plenty of mistakes that first trip. And it was a very low risk situation. My husband and I started in Portland, Maine, then rode to a campsite not too far away. So we took our bikes, loaded them all up and then rode... It was probably about 20 miles away from where we had parked. We just learned so much. We could not have figured all that out had we not done a test trip. And so that is the best advice I can give you. And that is to plan a short overnight, one that takes you within 20 miles from home. It's not that far to go. You're within an easy phone call of loved ones. If something happens or if you forgot something or you need to get home, you're not too far away. So that you're, you're going to you're going to you just you will learn so much and then that will prepare you much better for your next trip. Check out hipcamp.com for private campsites that are less likely to be affected by seasonal closures and covid related closures. Mm. We went to a few hip campsites and I've worked with a few people who have also gone to hip camp over this past summer. These some of the hip campsites are not great. You have to read the reviews. You want to know what people say is good. And what we found out is if people aren't mentioning an aspect of the area, it's probably because it wasn't a good aspect. But they also didn't want to criticize the people because they were so thankful for having a place to stay. So see what the positive reviews are and then and then just notice what might be missing from a review. Uh, well, I was curious. I mean, Hip Camp, is that uh, an aggregator of different private campsites? Is that what it is? Correct. Uh. I would I would couch it as Airbnb for campsites. Oh, some of some of the places are literally a residential home with a backyard where the people who own the home are willing to let you pitch a tent. Some of them are farms acres and acres of land gorgeous you're like you have a large space to yourself but there's other campers around there was one place we stayed in new york that had the most beautiful setting it was gorgeous and the toilet was a plastic toilet where there's a plastic bag in the toilet Uh and you're expected to bag it and take it out with you so that was that was a new one for me. I've not seen that system, but it was inexpensive and heaven on earth. It, it was a really neat place to stay. So there's a variety of experiences offered out there. Mm. And I just did a search for for places in December in Massachusetts. And I found some places that are open because they're private. They're, they're just not going to be under the same rules and regulations as some of the more the bigger campsites that usually shut down late October. They're going to be shutting down anyway, regardless of COVID and everything else. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I suggest start to your research now, plan to do a bike pack trip, get a friend or friends to commit to a weekend with you in early spring. And you are going to have something to look forward to that, you know, you're going to be able to make happen. What do you think? Are you inspired to 
bike pack now? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I, ha ha. It's okay. You can say no. <laughs> I'm going to go with a little column A and a little column B. Um, so, uh, I've got a tandem with racks and panniers. Mm-hmm. And what I really want to do right now is more kind of end to end sort of, uh, stuff with it. Uh, so what was it year before last new year's Eve? Um, I, and the woman I was seeing rode the tandem from, um, it was a little North of Jenner, uh, California, which is, uh, basically due West here, uh, on highway one. The idea was to ride from just North of Jenner all the way up to Mendocino, uh, do new year's Eve there. Uh, hang out for a day and then ride back. And Mm -hmm. because the coastline's so winding, even though I knew how long the ride was going to be, I didn't have a feel for how steep some of the hills would be. Mm -hmm. That's (laughs) tough on a loaded tandem. And we were about five miles from Mendocino at the point that it became completely dark. And uh, we called AAA. Hmm. And, that's a good idea. And we, I mean, so I had to concoct a story for why it was we were calling. Um, it seemed, it seemed sort of lame to just admit, well, we ran out of light. Uh, we didn't have, we didn't have lights with us. We didn't think it was going to take us that kind of long. Mm. Uh, you know, I just, I didn't think there was any way I was going to run out of lights on like a 70 mile ride that was started at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was uh that was a surprise for me. Um but yeah, so I'm still a big believer in panniers and I didn't really understand uh until you said so why it was because so many people I know when they go bike packing, they're on logging roads, forestry roads, stuff like that. Uh not that much single track. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, well, it's not a width issue. But right. yeah, if the, if the bags are swinging around the, the, the specific bike packing bags that I have from Blackburn that I reviewed a couple of years back, uh, they're intended for a mountain bike. The, the handlebar bag, you are not going to make work with a drop bar. Um, right. and I think that's one of the things that if somebody's going into this and thinking that they might, uh, might uh, build up a whole bike around this, looking at what sorts of bags you want to carry prior to building or buying the bike. Uh, that would be really helpful. I mean, one of the things that I still struggle to wrap my head around is just how minimal you have to go, even with a big seat bag and then a big bag in the main triangle handlebar bag. Uh, you, you know, there's a limit to what you can do on the fork. That's helpful with a mountain bike because you can do stuff on a suspension fork. That's unsprung weight. So you can carry stuff there. Um, but you know, I found myself looking at how much, uh, how many, what cubic centimeters of carrying capacity Mm -hmm. I had. And I was like, there's not a lot. Yeah. It's like, well, that's fewer pairs of bib shorts. Um, (laughs) You know, it, it really changed in a hurry. Um, and I, I totally hear you on the where and the what, you know, making sure that there are things that you can get to easily when you're going to need them, uh, in a hurry. Uh, I certainly learned that a a long time ago with my panniers. Um, I did, uh, a loaded, uh, you know, four panniers, handlebar bag, tent strapped to the back rack. I did that over 2000 miles back in the early nineties, uh, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, uh, across the continent. Wow, that's a big load. Oh my gosh. How it much was, did that weigh? Do you know how much your stuff weighed? About a hundred pounds. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was crazily ambitious. I crossed the continental divide seven times in that trip. Wow. it's um, a lot of elevation gain. Yeah. I, I was 10 pounds lighter at the end of the trip and I was eating everything in sight. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably lost some weight and gear, too, because you kept throwing it away as you were going. Don't need well, this. The, don't need that. One of the silly don't things that I did was the next <laughs> I took drink mix with me because I mm-hmm. wanted uh, I wanted a high calorie drink mix for on the bike. And so I did actually increase my capacity for carrying things because I was losing drink mix along the way. Um, <laughs> that was mm-hmm. that was maybe not among my best choices. Something I will say, though, to your point about pillows and sleeping packs and whatnot. So I've got a double wide uh, sleeping bag, you know, sleeping bag for two from Big Agnes. And it has pockets in it for inflatable pillows that they make. And those things blow up in a hurry. And one of the nice things about an inflatable pillow, if you like a soft pillow, you put less air in. If you like something really (laughs) firm, you just blow it up harder. And that's really great. And the sleeping bag actually has a pocket underneath it that the inflatable pad goes into. Uh, yes, and so there's helpful. no rustle, rustle, rustle that way. Um, for someone who may be doing this with a significant other, um, be careful on the sleeping bag for two because it's a bigger opening. And every time you move, there's that much more opportunity to suck cold air in. That was um, revelatory. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you could also potentially get too hot if you're trying to share a sleeping bag. That's not a problem I faced. I certainly respect that that could be an issue for others. Uh, The bag that I've got from Big Agnes, there are zippers on both sides. There's a Mm. there are a lot of opportunities uh, to regulate uh, each individual. Um, Yeah. So. Well, that's another good point that you somewhat inspire with that is, are you right? Are you doing this alone or are you doing it with someone else? If you're doing it with someone else, you get to split the cooking gear and the food between the two of you. That makes it easier to pack. But you also consider that in your packing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I figure, you know, you're going to be carrying enough food for yourself no matter what. Right. Uh, You know. If you're carrying the food for another person, it's still enough food to feed two. Um, right. But the fact that one person could take the tent and one person could take the sleeping uh, bag, that mm-hmm. is super helpful. And I could see how, yeah, I could see how that would really play out in a, a very helpful way. Yeah. Right. And on the tandem thing, when you are both on the tandem, now all of your stuff for two people has to be on tandem. And my <laughs> husband and I have also bike packed tandemed that's tricky you just do not have as much real estate on a tandem as you do with a single bike for two people yeah well you go from having four panniers for your stuff to two (laughs) (laughs) right right and your frame triangles aren't really the triangle shape anymore and there are custom bags there are some nice custom bag makers who will make bags for those strange spots in your bike you could definitely maximize that space but better because of that yeah and you can have extra bottles and that sort of thing too yeah absolutely man you've got me certainly thinking about doing some more touring i I definitely want to do that this year um one of the things i'd really like to do are some trips with my boys my tandem is Mm -hmm. one of the uh, co-motion periscopes that Mm -hmm. has the uh, telescoping seat tube along with a long seat post so that you can accommodate uh, a wide variety of sizes for both captain and stoker but my boys are big enough to actually ride in the back on that without a child stoker kit and oh that's neat it's a really neat thing you can do with them i you know the part of the issue though is getting them to agree to do it uh and i'm not one to go for financial incentives uh But who knows, maybe I have to resort to a little something special to make it happen. Uh, but yeah, so this next year, I once we can start getting out more, I really want to do some stuff. Oh, that'll be great. I'm looking forward to hearing your, about your rides and trips with your boys. Yeah. Uh, and we will include a link to Hip Camp uh, in yes. our show notes. And Got I'll it. be checking that out myself. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things out there. And for anyone who has land, it's a consideration to put your property on HipCamp and be part of that community. 
Yeah. I, I unfortunately can't remember it. I'll look it up. But uh, my buddy, George Mount, former Olympian, uh, there's there's a site, something like hot showers or something for yes. people who are passing through. And he makes his home available uh, in Southern Oregon to people who are busy doing bike tours uh, so that they can get a hot shower. I've heard really positive things about hot showers also from people who have taken advantage of it. I have not used that myself, but yes, other people have definitely found great community there too. Neat. And hot showers. Yeah. Well, you know, that's something that sells itself, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> See, hot shower? <laughs> the other part of bikepacking that we'll talk about later is the whole, you're wearing one pair of bike shorts <sighs> the whole time you're bikepacking. <sighs> you're not changing shorts day to day. I, I'll just leave it at that. I have to take at least a second pair. I can't do one day after day after day. I They need some airing out or something. Yeah. <laughs> this man has his limits. Uh, yeah. Uh, all righty. Well, we're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial, with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on Support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time now for my poll. So... Patria, I have to admit that this time of year, my motivation can sometimes lag. Yes, the guy in Northern California who doesn't have a real winter. Okay, we'll just get that out who there. Who has no excuse. You're right, right, right. I am, <laughs> yeah. I'm like down to negative one excuses. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, be that as it may, I'm going to say that the combination of shorter days, colder days, wetter days, days that are sometimes all three of those, um, it definitely makes getting out of the door a little tougher. And then add to that the need to do Christmas shopping and wrapping Christmas presents. And my time gets pulled a little thin this time of year. But I'll say that the issue that I'm addressing is really much more about motivation. Now, there are challenges like the Rafa Festive 500 that challenges folks to do 500 kilometers, which is what, about 310 miles between Christmas Eve and New Year's. Um, but the only practical way to do that is through riding the road 100%. Using gravel riding and mountain biking to get there this time of year, I don't see that happening. <laughs> Right. That would be a lot. Yeah. Yep. I mean, a 300-mile week on the road bike is a big week, period. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been a little while since I've had one. So we also have a couple of local challenges here as well. But I'm not really someone who responds all that well to outside stimulus. I'm much more likely to do something like that um, if it's a matter of logging those miles with friends. Uh having the the present tense camaraderie as opposed to the virtual post-event camaraderie makes a big mm -hmm. difference for me. What I've been doing instead is spending some time in my garage. I've been gradually organizing that space uh, very gradually, and there's a lot of organizing <laughs> left to do. I'm being honest, okay? I'm being honest. Uh, <laughs> Most people can probably agree, and... <laughs> Um, appreciate that. Yeah. So I've been cleaning parts and not to mention pulling together stuff that I need to sell. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I had a moment just last week, uh, where I opened a box and I discovered a nine speed triple Dura-Ace group. Now I know for people who still believe in triples, those things are worth gold. And it's like, what am I doing with this still? I've had it. 
those parts are more than 20 years old, right? Wow. I, I think. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, you know, but there are people out there still putting them to use. And it's like, oh, Absolutely. somebody's got a destroyed lever or needs the crank or a rear derail or something. I need to get these out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've got a box. Stuff's going in. Um, but honestly, cleaning up bikes, you know, cleaning parts that I'll want to use again next spring or summer, that does actually make me excited about riding. It helps from the standpoint of I really want to ride mountain bikes right now. <clears throat> I just finished building up a bike for review, and it's a very, very fun ride. But with our recent rain, I need to let the trails dry. Uh, and I wish everybody else was on that page around here. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> so it goes. Yeah. Uh, bleeding brakes isn't half as fun as using the brakes, right? Yep. <laughs> but it does <laughs> yes, need to be. Especially when we're talking about bleeding brakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it does need to be done periodically. And over the holiday, one of the little projects I've set for myself is I plan to bleed every single brake on every bike in my possession that has disc brakes. And I'm a make a pile of everything I need to sell. And then I'm hoping I can find the time to list everything in the days following Christmas so that the folks who've gotten Christmas money burning holes in their debit cards might come to me. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick of the bike store. <laughs> and You know, it's, it's funny because like, Stuff that comes in for review that uh, doesn't end up going back home, like some of the apparel, all mm -hmm. that stuff I pass to friends who, well, like I've got a buddy with two kids who ride in addition to him. So outfitting three cyclists, it's like, oh, here, <laughs> here's another helmet. It's one of the things that we can't do ethically is sell stuff that we've been given for review, but I still buy a lot of stuff. There's stuff that would otherwise uh, go back to a manufacturer and I call them up and I say, what does the check say? Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, some of those things uh, at this point, it's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not using this. Somebody ought to be using it. And given the amount of gear I have, the point at which something starts to fall out of favor in terms of, uh, you know, my personal collection of stuff normally those things still have a lot of life left in them. So I've, I've got some work ahead of me. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great project for this time of year. Yeah. And you know how many people right now with the upsurge and people wanting bikes and gear, a lot of people getting into cycling now for a first time, that would be perfect for a lot of these yeah. people. Yeah. I, I wish I had entire bikes to sell. Um, yeah, that's, that's not quite the situation, but yeah, um, I, I do think that, yeah, there are probably people out there looking for a whole lot of different parts and maybe I can help. Um, you know, and I'll also say that, you know, if you play with bike stuff enough, you're, you're going to be that much more likely to bite the bullet and go out even in the nasty conditions. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's true. So maybe the, maybe working on bikes will toughen me up. Hey, carry <laughs> okay. I know. If that's what, Grasping at if straws. that's what gets you going, that's what gets you going. I think that's what it all comes down to where every single person has their own motivator and that, that thing that just makes you feel alive and makes you want to go after it. Uh, yes. Touching bike parts, if that's it for you and cleaning it and making it nice, being your home mechanic, that's that's great. You, do it. You don't have that problem with motivation ever, do you? Oh, I I rarely, rarely have. <laughs> a, uh, yeah, no, I don't have a problem with motivation. I, I, I had a dream last night that I'm going to share with the whole world. I had a dream about being at a desk job. And it was a nightmare. And I, I just that. am so excited to be around bikes and to ride bikes. I think the only thing that gets my motivation down is when I can't ride with other people, when I can't go out on group rides. Mm. To a certain point, I, I really enjoy riding by myself and, and just thinking and being and, and 
almost no matter the weather. But sure, I mean, you get a week of five days of rain and there's nobody around and it's that can be that could be a little trying. Right. I totally agree with with the weather, even if you're in a really nice place, that can be tough. And I'll tell you, when I lived in Colorado and I raced competitively there, I would always go to an early season race, typically in Arizona or New Mexico, and have just an amazing ride because it was always warm and nice. Um, like I went to the Tour of the Gila uh-huh. one year. I think that was pretty early season. And then uh, there was another one in Arizona. Anyway, 70 degree days and gorgeous. Hard to get out of the airport in Denver because it was snowing. So just a dramatic temperature difference. So coming from this really nice, beautiful place and racing hard and just feeling great being out there with everyone and short sleeves and shorts. Coming back to Colorado, though the weather there is really nice just a slightly chilly day where it just doesn't have that same excitement. I had a hard time. I would, I would go into a slightly dark place coming back. And I think that happened to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So so that was something I started to notice year after year. I had that same sluggishness or, or lack of excitement after having something so nice. Mm. So I almost started to consider not doing those spring training camps and spring races because it was almost hard for my body to adjust to to coming back and to be in something the that letdown. wasn't as nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. There was something to that. I, one of the things that I will say that I figured out about myself, uh, this is probably material for a whole separate pull at some point, but uh, seasonal af- affective disorder, you know, getting mm. the winter blues. Uh, yeah. I found that even though I might be dealing with overcast weather, as long as I got out frequently and skied or rode, I really never suffered from that. So just getting enough sunlight, even if it was blotted out by clouds, made a big, big difference for me. Uh, It was also helpful when I was a racer and I was thinking about, you know, you go out on that awful 40 degree and drizzling day and you log four hours. And I remember thinking, well, there are a whole lot of guys who are not riding today. I'm getting fitter. Uh, yep. and I, I just, feel the same thing. I don't feel that way anymore. I'm right. I don't have much to prove. Uh, there's not much that I can prove. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. All righty. Well, thanks for that. Um, why don't we move on to pace line picks? What do you have this week? Well, this week, because I'm talking about bike packing and the need for everyone to have bags on their bike or stuff on their bike, I'm talking about the Ortlieb seat pack, 11 liter or 16 liter. Mm. Saddle, large saddlebags are exceptionally nice to have on any bike. I'm talking about you roadies out there with really lightweight race bikes you can put these large saddle bike bags on your bike and carry unlimited amounts of stuff this time of year spring fall pretty much any time of year obviously if you're not doing some really fast group ride a large saddle bag is very helpful you can carry a rain jacket a spare set of gloves. Is the weather going to turn on you? You can have even another set of sunglasses on you. You can bring a book. You can go do a good long ride. Stop. Read your book. You got a small laptop now because people don't read books. <laughs> but these large saddlebags, 11 liters, I would say is a minimum size to use. And the 16 liter can be used now for anything. It can scrunch down fairly small or be huge. The 11 liter bag is useful for people who don't have a ton of clearance between the bottom of their saddle and the top of their rear wheel. So shorter people with the shorter saddle height do have to be concerned about that because you don't want your saddle bag dragging on your rear wheel. That's definitely no good for the bag. And it's it's annoying if the bag slips just a little bit. Now it's rubbing. Then you have to continue to like cinch it up. So the Ortley bag is really well built. It's not the only bag that's a large saddle bag that's offered on the market. There are many out there that are offered. 
so uh, I do like the Ortlieb a lot. I think they have a lot of extra nice special features such as reflectivity on the back. It's easy to mount a light on the back. That's something that not every bag offers uh, because the bag is large. It now takes the real estate off your seat post where you might typically mount a light. Now that's no longer there. So being able to mount the light on your bag can be very helpful. And one of the things with these bags is sometimes it's stuffed a lot. Sometimes it's not stuffed at all. So that means the mount for the rear light has to change depending on how long that bag ends up being. And there, there's nice straps. They have little Velcro pieces so that the straps can be tied down and they're not flopping all over the place. And just in generally being annoying. I mean, the worst thing would be if one of these straps ends up in a spoke. I don't think that's typically going to happen, but with long straps, you just don't want to take any chances on something getting stuck in your spokes. Then you want the bag to be able to lock down so that when you cinch it up and tighten it, that it stays there. Again, back to my previous point about it slipping down and running into your rear tire. So I, I really like these bags. They're nothing fancy. They have gray and black. They are difficult to get. Unfortunately, right now, they're not in stock at Ortlieb, but there are some being offered in in the world. I think most bike shops that had them have all sold out at this point. We're certainly on the list to get, I think I have something like seven or eight back orders now for customers who are just sitting around waiting for their rear saddlebag to show up. Mm. This saddlebag has literally changed my life in riding because being able to carry stuff. I'm no longer scared to go on a long ride. If the weather's going to change, I've got what I need. I've got a lot of times I'm the one carrying everybody else's jackets on a ride. <laughs> when when people overheat, I get to take the jackets. So it makes me feel good. I can I can provide some sort of valuable service to others when we're riding together. Um, so, yeah, I, I really think a lot of these bags, I used to think saddlebags were super dorky and now I just cannot live without it. My big saddlebag goes from bike to bike to bike. So no matter what kind of ride I'm doing, you're going to see this large saddlebag on it mm. and it, um, it makes me happy. So I suggest <laughs> that to you to add a large saddlebag to your life over the winter so that anytime you want to ride, you got what you need. I'm going to plus one on that. My handlebar bag. And four panniers are Ortlieb, and they're just dynamite. The uh, the panniers are all compression packs, so that you can cinch them down and you know keep them from flopping around. Uh, yeah, they're you know they've been doing it forever. Uh, they're I've, they're Swiss or German? I don't remember. Uh, maybe German. I I want to say German. They also carry tubus racks they're the importer for tubus racks yeah which are german is i'm pretty certain tubus is german and really well built so i would imagine there's a relationship there yeah well they've been doing it forever and yeah. uh the the stuff that they're offering in more budget ranges i think tends to be better than a lot of the other stuff in in that similar sort of price range so yeah right i'm a believer and price range speaking of that it's 160 dollars for the 11 liter bag Best $160 you will spend. <laughs> All think, right. In my in my very humble opinion. Patrick, what's your pick for today? Well, my pick this week is Shimano's S Fire line of apparel. I've talked about them previously on the show, um, but I wanted to bring them up for a, speci a specific reason this week. Um, so I've got a number of pieces from the line. Bib shorts, jersey, long sleeve base layer, arm warmers, wind jacket, uh, and more, uh, not to mention shoes, uh, every single piece, especially the wind jacket is just incredible. I would easily compare these pieces to the top items coming from a company like Castelli or Pearl Izumi. While I don't see them in the lineup currently, their neoprene gloves are my favorite pair of wet weather gloves due to their remarkable dexterity and warmth. Um, the arm warmers are unusual in that they are very lightweight, so they're really great for when you need something, but a standard weight arm warmer would be overkill. Uh, and, you know, generally arm warmers are kind of all of a piece in terms of their, of their weight. It's pretty standardized and yeah, these are distinctly lighter and I love them using them 
kind of late spring and very early fall. Uh, they've been really handy uh, this year. Let's see what else. Uh, the wind jacket is a real go-to piece for me uh, in mountain biking in cold and damp conditions, in part because it's jet black. And no matter how muddy I might get, it won't stain. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like that. So what do you say to people who feel like collars are good to be wearing? Uh, you know, each to their own. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't have any. I don't have any reason to say something against that. Um, I'm not somebody who wears it. You know, I just zip my stuff all the way up and roll. Um, and that's got a reasonably high collar. I, if, if I'm concerned about a windy day and wind blowing down my collar, I make sure to grab a piece that's got a longer than usual collar. And Mm -hmm. I've got enough different things that there are a few things that have a, an unusually, uh, long collar. Um, Now, I should also say, because that wind jacket is black, I don't wear it on the road. I'm really concerned about visibility. um, And so I don't use it there. Uh, And as I've mentioned, I won't go out when I know the trails are wet. But sometimes as things are, you know, pretty well dried out, you will run run across a puddle here or there. And that's what really makes that that piece so good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been very pleased with it. I'm bringing the S fire line up because, uh, as a whole, the pieces currently are discounted at every online retailer selling them from backcountry to competitive cyclist. I suspect that local retailers for people who do want to do business with their LBS should be able to order the stuff from Shimano at some sort of discount right now. If we're seeing the big retailers discount this stuff, And given how deep the prices have been cut, I can really recommend some of these pieces as being especially good values right now. Um, And, you know, like we've mentioned, if someone's giving out Christmas money, uh, this might be a good thing to think about. So I'll have a link to Shimano's site in our show notes. Oh, those sound really nice. I, I just... The first time I opened up one of the pieces and put it on, I was like, you're kidding. Shimano's good at apparel. <laughs> I just, I, I, there's not a single piece that I've tried out of that line that I thought, eh, every one of them yeah. I would put alongside the best stuff I've got from anybody else. I just, it's nutty. It's nutty. How I good agree. It is. It's, it's something that people just don't think about. You just think, Shimano components. And and I I get stuck in that same place too. I forget to look at what Shimano's offering in terms of of apparel because you just don't think of them that way. But yes, their quality is good and these are great recommendations. Yeah. Um, all righty. Well, uh I think that's pretty well a wrap for us. Uh you think you're gonna get some snow here in the next couple days? That's right. Wednesday night, we're looking at the hashtag RSC first snow ride. Ah. So we're really, really looking forward to that. Even though we had a great first slush ride, the first snow ride is something to really look forward to. So we get to look forward to it yet again and then hopefully be buried for a day and everybody can stay home and and just have a nice chill day. (laughs) Snow day. Oh, man. Yes, exactly. Maybe some fat bikes, some special fat biking this weekend. (laughs) <laughs> which may result after allowing the, the snowmobiles to plow some some nice tracks out there. So we'll see what happens. Very cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully we will dry out some in the next couple of days here, but we're supposed to get more rain yep. later this week. I am not going to complain. Uh, I'm just not quite ready to go out with fenders just yet. Um, and it's a matter of also figuring out what bike I want to put them on because there are a lot of fenders out there that are kind of rough on paint jobs and I don't want to do that mm-hmm. on my nice steel road bikes. So, mm. um, right. Yeah. Something to work on as you're cleaning your components in your garage. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Hey, we Thanks. should let everyone know that we are going to take a two week break with the holidays. We will be back as normal on January 4th. Alrighty, everybody keep those questions coming. You all are sending great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, 
please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next year, I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.